Hi everyone and welcome to the Poema Podcast. I'm James Prescott, your host, and I'm delighted to welcome back Alexander Shire to the podcast today. Um, welcome back, Alexander. Thank you, James. It's an honor. Truly, it's just it is great a great honor to be with you and to and and through you to be with Londoners and and people of the UK. Yeah, it's always yeah it's <laughs> it's always a privilege to have you on on here. Um, like yeah, I can't get enough really. It's um, learned, learned so much, and I know a lot of people have messaged me and told me how much they've learned from your episodes already. Um, so. Um, very, very interestingly, I will be landing at Gatwick on uh, February the 14th. So, uh, hel- hello to, to all those people I'm about to see. Yeah, which is the day this episode is actually going to go out, So, um, which is ironic. Um, and the first day of Lent. Um, it, is, it is, it is. So, um, we're going to talk a bit about that today. Um, so, we've got a few, a few new things to talk about today. I'm really excited for you to hear all this stuff. So, um, okay, well, yeah, so let's get into it. Um, we're going to talk about community to start with, Alexander. And um, so just just share with us what, you're, what you've been thinking about and reflecting on when it comes to like community. Well, because here we are right at the, the beginning of Lent again, um, I, I want to talk about how most everything that... that the early Christians did, they did because of a pressing practical dilemma that they were facing in their lives with each other. And that uh, our tradition, the Christian tradition, was the first tradition that we have a historical record of, of being pan-tribal. Now, there may have been other traditions in the world that tried this and they died out, but Uh, What we do know or what we think we know at this moment is that Christianity is the first world, it's the first religious tradition, the first religious spiritual tradition, which Mm -hmm. says to everyone, we have a table where you can come sit side by side. Now, um, Mm -hmm. Judaism, our mother, and a few other great traditions had a teaching at this point in their history that all people are equal and all people come from the same source. But they never went the second step with that, which was to have a worship space, which said, just come. Now, most worship spaces in the first century were either all male or all female, or uh, men were on the floor uh, of the worship space and women were in the balcony, Or there was a curtain or a wall down the center of the worship space and men were on one side and women were on the other. And that gender diversity is just the first expression of how how we might divide ourselves. There were also sections for slaves. There were different sections if you were a foreigner, if you came from a different bloodline, etc. So that Christianity had a table. And it said, in my best U.S. Southern accent, it no longer matters who your mama is. Uh, Everybody can come sit side by side, shoulder to shoulder, eye to eye. This is uh, a dramatic, revolutionary new step in being the human family. Mm. But, (laughs) But... 
we well, it's like it's wonderful to have this vision of the unity of the human family and that we're all equal and we're all brothers and sisters. And then we try to live it. And yeah. all those little personality issues start getting in the way. And it's like, you know, those people from the East, they, they, they're such snobs. And those people from the West, they, they're never quiet. And gosh, when did the slaves have a bath last? And all of this um, first level of personality divergence begins to come up, and it's not long before that leads into even more serious uh, intellectual disputes and what we might think of today even as quote-unquote theological disputes. Can you imagine Christians arguing with each other? I know. It never, that never happens now, does it? Like, no, anyway. no, no, no. <laughs> and, and as long as in the first two centuries of Christianity— as long as we were being chased by the emperor and killed by the emperor, uh, that level of persecution diminishes the personality and even the theological debates. It's like there's not time for that because we literally are running or living for our lives. But as we come to the end of the second century— and Roman persecution would come in waves, and it would get very intense, and then it would lighten up, and then it would be very intense again. But in these times when the Roman persecution would lighten up, um, we began to, first of all, have holy curiosity of each other. Mm. And, it's, you know, what do you believe about Jesus, and how do you worship, and how, how have you structured your community, etc.? And we discover in these moments that we have the luxury of conversation without being killed that there is a lot of diversity amongst this, amongst the name Christian. And with diversity came conflict, and with conflict came real debate. And in the midst of this, as as this large conflict debate begins to happen late second century Christianity says we are we are possibly losing the hallmark of our spiritual practice which is that we look at the world's diversity as a jewel as a radiant diadem and that diversity calls us to the deep practices of care and charity and reconciliation Mm -hmm. and justice-making. And yet what was beginning to happen at this moment is that the theological debate was overtaking the felt sense of oneness and charity. And so the church, in her great wisdom, and church is probably too formal a word because at this point in our history we're just Mm. We're a loose, a loose network of communities. Yeah. But there was this wisdom that said, we need to have a community retreat every year. Okay. And, and during this retreat, we need to return to um, 
uh, a, a very humble stance before God and before each other. And we need to ask uh, forgiveness of each other, and we need to ask for God's deeper wisdom so that we can ever be growing in a sense of oneness rather than having all of this theological debate begin to separate us. And so this, in my sense of always understanding that the great structures of the church come from something that's happening on the ground in our lives, this is the moment that the, that the Christian communities begin to imagine something like what we call today Lent and Easter. And it's very interesting that we didn't, we think of Easter as a, as a Sunday in Northern Hemisphere springtime. Mm. That's not early Christianity's understanding. Early Christianity's understanding is every Sunday is Easter. Wow. Every Sunday we came together to deepen in the, the experience of the mystery of death and resurrection, and that's Easter. So 200 years later, or roughly 200 years later, what the early Christian community said, well, we, we have Easter 52 times a year, but we need to do something on one of these 52 Easter's that's different from what we do the other 51. Mm-hmm. And what that was, was we need a 72-hour community retreat And the basis of that retreat is going to be our stripping, our our psychologically and spiritually stripping ourselves before God and each other. And that we're going to literally ask for the grace to fall in love with each other as the body of Christ again and ever deeper. And what is so remarkable about this moment, of course, it's only a 72-hour retreat, but uh, the opening moment of the retreat was the bishop with the whole community there, because the communities in those days were probably the sizes of our churches or our parishes. Uh, mm-hmm. The bishop would lay down his crozier and would step back from any place of authority and would become part, just one more member of the body. And it was a recognition that the entire community uh, needed to seek God's wisdom, that there was no one in the community that knew more than the other, that we all came into these 72 hours where we would humbly stand before God and say, God, we know in some significant way we have not adequately understood your message and what you want us to do. And so we, we have come to these days uh, to fast and pray that we might be that we might hear your voice anew and deeper. And and the fasting of these days is not it's not the penitential fast of I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. No, it was this this was the fast of I want to ache for your voice in the same way I might hunger for food. I want to use my 
hunger and my physical hunger and thirst as a remembrance of the type of hunger and thirst I have for deeper communion with you, God, and with my brother and sister. So um, this was a, a, a profound uh, retreat that was required of all the baptized members. It was like, um, if you're not if you're not with us for this retreat, um, you better be in the hospital. Uh, this was this was not an optional. This was a core essential practice of make of community making in the midst of our diversity, because otherwise our diversity was going to strangle us. Mm. So <clears throat> the the other piece of this is um, that this Easter, uh, in fact the whole largely theological frame of the first centuries of Christianity is something today we might call theosis, which is very distinct from atonement. Now, let's look at these two words. Mm. Um, Atonement we're more uh, familiar with. Atonement is the perspective that Jesus died for our sins, and therefore won back for us uh, our deeper relationship with God. Um, yep, that's right. <laughs> theosis is quite different. Theosis says, <clears throat> you are made in the image of God, and there is never a point in your life when you are separated from that which you were made, but that as a Christian what we believe is that we go through an ongoing, gradual process of transformation throughout our whole life to be more the image that we're already made in. Mm, I love that. I love that. That's, that's, that's... In, in this way, Jesus did not come to die for our sins. Jesus came to show us the way of love and harmony, and communion, and reconciliation, which allows us to live ever more intimately in union with God and with each other. Yeah, which is a lot better than than just, I believe something, and then I get something for it. You know, I'm like, I change my mind about something, and suddenly I'm in, and suddenly I'm okay. And if I don't, and if I don't, if I don't pick the right side, then I'm not going to be okay. Right. You know, so, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, theosis, I mean, I, I yeah, theosis is, that sounds so much, theosis sounds so much better. <laughs> sounds so well, much more like you Jesus, know, you know, to be honest. Um, I, I might just have, as an aside at this moment, and I don't know that we want to go down this path because we've done a number of podcasts together, but, I would like people to, to understand or begin to, to see that the book that I've written about the Gospels, Heart and Mind, um, The Four Gospel Journey for Radical Transformation, that book is predicated on a belief in theosis. That book is, here is the gospel map of the journey, of the ongoing, continuing journey of transformation 
so that each of us and collectively together, we can be the fullness of the image in which we were already made. Absolutely. So um, if you you start my book from a perspective of atonement, you're probably going to have a lot of challenges in understanding what I'm doing. But if you would, if you will begin to, to understand that the early church, the early centuries of our tradition was not steeped in atonement, but rather the perspective of theosis. And that everything that they were doing for us in the early centuries was to teach us about the journey of transformation. And it's not a transformation based in your sinful, it's a transformation based in we're all on a journey into the heart of love, and here's the map to that journey. Yeah, it's it's these retreats um, as well, you know, and uh, talking about reconciliation and peace and love, and um, just saying that we have we have differences, but we are still one, and we're going to grow together. Um, that's a beautiful thing. I, I, I don't. I don't know that we've um, that we've talked in the past about the beautiful name of Jerusalem. Do, do you remember? Have we talked about this before? Or well, maybe this is just a lot a, of things. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, no, yeah, I'd I'd love to hear more about it. So um, because this is because Christianity, um, one of our first names for ourselves as a communion. We were the tradition of the new Jerusalem. And the new Jerusalem is quite distinct from the historical Jerusalem. But let's look at uh, the name Jerusalem, which was coined or created by King David uh, a thousand years before Jesus. And David was creating the capital city of the nation state of Israel. And from this place, the 12 tribes or representatives of the 12 tribes of Israel were going to govern the, the people. Right. Well, now, as a Lebanese, I know, and I think maybe many of us know, regardless if we have an ethnic tradition or not, but if I have 11 Lebanese sitting at Sunday dinner table together, we've got at least 43 opinions. And, and the Lebanese, being a Semitic people, are quite passionate and vociferous. You may hear passion in my voice sometimes. That's very much part of my DNA as a Lebanese man. Right. And, uh, in fact, just as an aside, if you were at a Lebanese table and you spoke quietly, my sitto, my grandmother or one of my aunts would turn to me and say, um, Tell me what you really believe. Uh, Because if you speak quietly and without passion at a Lebanese table, that means you're lying. Oh, wow. Uh, And that was a real challenge to me when I was down in New Zealand, which has a very different ethos. And if you speak passionately at a table, um, you're trying to exert power over someone. So these cultural differences are, 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 are very interesting, and they can get us into trouble unless we understand each other. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. So back to David, and he knows he's the king of a rather passionate group of people. 
and and the Israelis are very passionate about their nation state of Israel and the governance of it and the and the various gifts that each one of the tribes represent. And so he was in giving the name Jerusalem to the capital city, he was giving them a spiritual practice. And that spiritual practice is something like this. Uh, now we know that the word Yeru in Jerusalem, Yeru can be translated in Hebrew as simply place or site or location of, and certainly we could say city of. Mm. But then but then comes the great word shalom. Yerushalom is place, city, site, location of shalom. And we tend to use shalom as, as the word peace, which it is. But for David and for that time, shalom is a spiritual practice. And it would probably be even more appropriate for us to say something like shaloming. It's, it's a verb more than a thing. Right, okay. And, and, and shaloming is a process that is a lot like a musical score of a fugue. And now I'm not a great musician, but as I understand a fugue, and I really want to invite your listeners in who probably know a lot more about this than I do, but as I understand in a fugue setting, whether it's, whether it's voices or musical instruments, first you hear all the instruments in their own individual integrity. And then the musical score moves so that you hear the voice or the instruments in an off key and you sense sort of the tension between the voices and the instruments. And then at the end, the fugue will open up. It'll bring all of this voice instrument diversity together into an incredible harmony. So the fuguing is first you hear the uniqueness of each voice or the uniqueness of each instrument. Mm -hmm. And then you hear the tension between the voices and the instruments. Mm -hmm. And then finally it opens up into a harmony, which is more than what any one voice or instrument could create. Wow. So, so shaloming would be something like this, as a spiritual practice of making community or trying to make a decision in community trying to discern a decision in community. It is that we must hear the uniqueness and the perspective of each person, of each voice. They have something of a truth to give to the whole, that if they hold back, we can't get there. So the first part is, I really have got to hear your authenticity and your uniqueness, and you've got to give that to us. But you've got to give it to us in a way where you understand that you don't have the fullness of truth. You have, you have a truth, a beautiful a truth that's your truth, but it's not the fullness of truth that we're going to get when we've heard from everyone in the community. Mm -hmm. And so then, then as we have heard 
the, the fullness of all the A truths, we're going to feel that tension. We're going to feel that pulling against each other in this, in, in almost what can be a cacophony of voices and opinions. Wow. But then we are going to do something which is the hallmark of Christian community, and nobody teaches it today, which is we are not going to bring in the psychologist to give us a lecture. We're not going to bring in the organizational development person to put us through an intellectual process. No, we are going to sit in the tension of the diversity in, in prayer and, and, and care for each other until there comes a moment that God moves us underneath our brains, over our brains, outside of our brains or whatever. God moves us to a new place of harmony that we could never have gotten to in rational discussion. Oh, wow. So good. So good. I sound like Rob, didn't I? Um, <laughs> well, and so this is the process of shaloming. Yeah. And, and this is the process that the early Christians uh, refreshed and deepened themselves in every year in the 72-hour Lent leading up to this Easter, and the, the, the difference about this Easter from the other 51 is that this Easter we set again our baptismal promises to each other because it is our promises which really are the Christian covenant, that this is the way we choose to live together this is the way we we choose to talk to each other. This is the way we choose to be in uh, charity and reconciliation and justice making with each other. And all of these practices in the baptismal covenant are verbs for our name for the presence of Jesus the Christ. So Jesus the Christ is not a thing or an object or a personality, but Jesus the Christ is a way, and that way is filled with our practice of certain skills and values about how we bend the uniqueness of the individual to the radiance of a, com of a community um, built on harmony. And that we understand that you have moments of harmony, but the communities don't largely live in harmony every day. In fact, going back to the places of tension is absolutely critically necessary and intended for us to get to a new, deeper place of harmony. So that, that tension is not against harmony, but tension is the process of God creating harmony in us. Tension is the process of God creating harmony in us. Yes. Oh, that's good. When the, when the tension is held in a certain attitude of mutual respect, mm. yeah. that we understand in relationships, in deep friendships, in communities, anytime we come into that place of deeply living with each other, there is going to be great tension. And we understand that that tension is the soil 
of harmony. And we can, we can try to resolve that tension by going to uniformity. But uniformity hurts communion. Hmm. Uniformity is not communion. Uniformity stands against communion. Because c- true communion must be built upon authenticity. And authenticity must be built upon the fact that each one of us is quite different and distinct. Yes. And the, the great spiritual practice is how we use our authenticity in my individual gifts and learn to offer them to a community in a way that, that the community builds me up and that I build the community up. Well, that's, that's like a, an incredible beatific vision of where we can go. But most of our communities today are far away from that still. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I completely agree. I, you know, everything you said, you know, um, I've spoken a bit before about how we need to hold our beliefs, differing beliefs in tension. You know, that it's, it's so, so important that we do that. I've never heard it described in the way that you have before. Um, I didn't know that how much of the roots of, you know, the, the Christian community comes from that. But, but yeah, it's just like we can't hold right, on so to like, our beliefs tightly, can we? We have to have open hands and hear each other's stories and, and exist in that tension. So let, let's just get knowing knowing that this week is quote unquote Ash Wednesday, and um, I, I want to. Um, set this great ritual in a historical context. Um, Christianity had Lent for at least five to seven hundred years before we had a rite of ashes. Uh, the the um, the early Lent, this three day Lent of the Church that starts late second century into the third century, started with. Um, a, a ritual of great beauty and we might even say triumphalism. And, and the, the genesis of this ritual, and I, I'm going to use the word, it used to be called the rite of election, and I don't want to get into what all that means. Uh, I want to stay more with the, 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 the feeling tone of this call to Lent because it's so different than the rite of ashes. Mm, yeah, uh, it's it's built upon Jesus uh, in the Gospel of John, Naaman, Simon, Peter, or Petros, and the word P- the word Petros in Hebrew, I mean in, in Greek, can mean either stone or rock. And yeah. um, and there's there's great significance to this because in the Mediterranean world of the first century. Stone or rock was considered the incorruptible substance. Every washing vessel in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was made of stone because if you washed in a vessel of stone, the stone never had to be purified because stone takes on no contamination. I see. So when... When in the Gospel of John, Jesus says to Simon, you're Petros. This is not something about Peter's per- or Simon's personality, because John's Gospel is the Gospel about each one of us. Jesus is saying, 
James, you're Petros. Jesus is saying, Sarah, you're Petros. Mary, you're Petros. William, you're Petros. Um, and what this means is who you are, or you are made of the incorruptible substance of God. And nothing you ever do can ever remove that from you. And God's presence will never be removed from you. And you can choose to cover it over. You can choose to run away from it. You can choose to not act upon it. But it does not change that this is who you are. And, and so, and that's why in the, in the early Lent of Theosis, the first prayer, after the bishop lays down the crozier and stands back, and there is no station in the community except that we all are humbly Christians together before God. But now what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate that each person in this room is the radiance of God amongst us. And that we are not coming to Lent because we are far away from God. We are not coming to Lent because we are sinners. We are not coming to Lent because we need to earn God's presence back in our life. We are coming to Lent because we understand that we are made of love and that being made of love, we are hearing the voice of love and love is calling to love and love wants us to grow and the love in us wants to grow. We want to be more the vessel of the love in which we have been made. That's beautiful. That's a really beautiful thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds so great. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, we, just, we, we just don't know where these things come from, do we? We just, like, to, in today's church or whatever, I, I, never, I never hear this talked about anywhere, you know. No, very sadly. Um, and... You know, and for all of us who are going to go through a rite of ashes this week, um, I want you to understand that that there is a beauty to this to this rite that we have not touched, and that is, do you know what is the most fertile substance on the planet for growth? Is it soil? Is that soil, or is it is it something else? It's, it's ash. Ah. You you want you want to help something. You want to give um, the nutrients to help uh, uh, whatever to grow. For for most things, it's ash. And I, I remember the story for myself when Mount St. Helens blew in the U.S. in the in the state of Washington, Oregon, in the United States, in the 1980s, and that whole landscape was devoid. And the scientists thought it's going to be so long before this regenerates. And what they had forgotten was the forest that grew in that ash grew a hundred times faster than any other forest because of the ash. So um, when, when, when we are anointed with ash this week, regardless of whatever words that somebody else may be saying, Take that ash as God's nutrients and God anointing us to grow in love and that nothing can be so fertile for our spiritual soul, souls than the anointing of ash that we received this week. That this ash is love calling to love 
and giving us the that which we physically and emotionally and psychologically and spiritually need to better respond to love. Wow. I feel like a sense of dunce for not getting that. I should have known. <laughs> like, what's the most fertile? I should... <laughs> Uh, of course it's ash of course it's ash my word that's phenomenal that, that's <sighs> wow I'm just uh, kind of blown away by that that's um, yeah so much symbolism with, there as well yeah you know, with the communities that I work in um, I know that some can do this and perhaps many cannot but um, I suggest for the community uh, that during the time of Lent, that we don't just have Ash on Ash Wednesday. The Ash Wednesday is simply the first day that we have Ash, but that we have this bowl of Ash there uh, before the community throughout the entirety of Lent and perhaps repeatedly are anointed with Ash, or if your tradition so allows that you might touch the Ash as you come into church on Sundays, that you, that we use this this ash as a as a physical and a spiritual reminder of the type of growth that we're asking God to touch us with over this season. Mm. Oh, wow. Ash is a sign of growth. Oh, that's brilliant! So brilliant! It's like so. Ash Wednesday is almost like we're beginning the journey into growth. Right? Yes, you know, and um, and of course, Lent ends with crucifixion and resurrection you know which is like you know part of that part of that process um the kind of yeah the kind of culmination of that process you know um and what happens when you die is you know your body becomes ashes um so you can start growing again i mean the, the symbolism is amazing it's just unbelievable <laughs> it's brilliant um, our ancestors knew a lot that we've sort of forgotten. Mm. So I, I, you know, all of this bears on for me on, on on my work with heart and mind, and again, the heart and mind, the four gospel journey for radical transformation, um, was released in a second edition this past November. Yeah. It's available. Yeah. It's available worldwide through Amazon, either as a paperback, um, almost 500 pages now, or uh, as a Kindle edition. And I'm delighted to say that that um, the paperback is is really selling quite well because this is for, even for me who I can't travel with paperback books because they just don't fit in, in, no. in luggage much anymore and it's a big but, book as well by the way um, it, it to carry it around um, so. but, but you know I, I love that people sort of sheepishly tell me you know it's taken me a year to read this book or even longer and it's like nothing makes my heart happier because this book is not about only the gospel. It's about a new way of living. It's about a new worldview. It's about a perspective of life which is both and, no longer either or. Uh, it's about enlarging creativity and vitality and deeper relationships with each other. Uh, this 
book is truly, and it's why I use the word a radical transformation, not that we're sinful and we need to be transformed radically, but rather that our culture today is largely working off of a lone brain cell when we've got a couple of billion at our disposal. And what type of life we would have in vitality and love and creativity if we used more of ourselves. And that's what this book is about, using more of yourself and using the grace of spirit to live into it an entirely new way to understand life and our life with each other. So this is not a, a, a small one-moment turnaround book. This is not a pick it up, read it, put it down and therefore, a group of people, we worked three years to create the Heart and Mind Community Guides to go along with the book so that people might just, you know, this is not, this book is not about reading the Gospels. This book is about using the Gospel journey to have a more spirit-filled, vital, creative, loving life. And therefore, if you, you, if you read the book and use the guides, the guides are making the gospel journey come alive in your life. You're not reading about the gospel. You're not studying the gospel. You're doing the gospel. Mm. I, I can recommend it to anybody. Um, I've read it, and it's, you know, and it's, it really is life-changing. Yeah, it changes it just gives you a different pair of eyes, you know. Um, it's like it's like the scales falling from your eyes, really. Um, it's um, it really is uh, worth the investment of your money and your time to 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 read this book. Um, so I really want to recommend that um, to everyone, um, you know, and um, to be part of. And I think you've got an you've now got an online community, have you? Um, something like that. Um, You've certainly got an author page, haven't you, where you kind of interact well, with people? We've got, um, we've got the website, which is www.quadratus, Q-U-A-D, quad for four, Q-U-A-D-R-A-T-O-S.com, quadratus, Q-U-A-D-R-A-T-O-S.com. Mm. And on that website are links to all of your podcasts and the podcasts I've done with Rob Bell and others um, and Pete, the Pete Pums podcast. Oh yeah. The media, the media pages just got all of this rich material for your turning on and, and clicking the links. Uh, but then there are also resources. Um, there's information about the four paths or information about the book. And then there's the store page. And on the store page, there are links to how to order the book through Amazon, but also on the store page are the community guides. There are six of them, and uh, each guide is available for $9.99 US uh, and then a, a free download. But you know, when I say community, I'm not talking about hundreds of people. I'm not talking about 50 people, although if you want to do that, great, but... These guides are for two people, three people, four people. Don't don't think you've got to go get a whole neighborhood. Um, mm. And the 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 origin of these guides were couples 
were writing me and saying, you know, we're, we're reading your book a paragraph at a time at night. We read a paragraph, we shut the book, and the two of us sit, sit and talk with each other. And I thought, gosh, what a great idea. And so these guides came out of that in that we've got particular way that we want you to ask questions of yourself and each other. And so we, 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 there are six questions that each gathering in a guide asks you to reflect on. And it's, you know, what's, what's going on in my life right now? What am I hearing in this passage right now? What's, for, what's my prayer for myself in hearing this passage right now, etc.? Mm. So it, it is it is a very it's a it's a very informal way to move through the book with at least one other person because my discovery is is that when we read the book by ourselves it goes into us and it goes deep but when we read that book with one other person or two people that we really love and care about the book magnifies a hundred times. Mm. Yeah. Well, it is really, really good. I mean, yeah. thank you. It I'm, is. I mean, and I, and I am really, I am so proud of this second edition. It is far more than a reworking of the first edition. And I thought I was going to be able to do this second edition in, a, in just a few short weeks and it took almost the better portion of a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and people are telling me it's a new book. I believe it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much good stuff today. really is. Um, and you, you've yeah. got me very excited to get myself to London. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We want more of you in... More of you in London. We want you to do more stuff in London. Do some events. Do some gatherings. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, would, I, I was. If anybody out there is listening, I was hoping to get to get to Greenbelt this year, and very sadly, I just missed the um, the deadline for submitting an application. But anybody out there got a connection? I'd love to get to Greenbelt this year. I'd love to share this material with you. It is setting people's hearts on fire. Nothing I've ever done, and it's not me. There is a grace and a spirit that's in this work, which is blowing me away. Yeah. I think a lot of people are going to, are going to benefit from this. I think, um, I think it's just going to start, it's just going to, something's going to happen, it's just going to kind of explode, and suddenly everyone's going to be, talking about this stuff, you know. And there's going to be a bunch of us that have been, been like, in on it for a while and just like, yeah, this is, yes. this is, this is brilliant. You know, Jim, Jim, uh, you're, you're a first responder. Yeah. <laughs> and for the first responders are a rare breed. And I'm just, I'm very grateful for you. Thank you, brother. Yeah, it's such a privilege. Um, you know, like, um, I mean, you've been on the podcast eight ten times now um we've met a couple of times in person as well um you know um alexander and i have become very good friends as well this is um why we can talk like family. yeah yeah exactly and um 
you know, I like I want to say to everybody, you go out for coffee with with this guy, and you will just it's the same as being here. You just learn so much just from sitting sitting in the same room as him and listening to him talk about all these kind of things. It's just uh, it's just a huge enlightenment and encouragement and education. It's just uh, uh, and such a blessing, and I'm, you know. Um, and I really would recommend to everyone these uh, these books and these guides because um, they will ch- literally change your life. Like you know, uh, changed my life, changed my faith for sure. Um, and hearing about community today and holding things in tension and um, you know learning to exist in that tension and um, about the journey of Lent being something about. Um, growth and new life and um, reconciliation and love you know it's uh, it's such an encouragement um, and I'm sure that everyone listening will be just as encouraged as me so um, thank you for, for sharing all of that today it's, an, it's truly an honour and a delight and I hope that I get a chance to see you when I, when I pass through London yeah absolutely yeah well uh, We'll talk about that when we finish recording, but um, but yeah, um, yeah. So I recommend everything that Alexander's doing. He's given you all the websites, um, quadratos.com, and um, he's on Facebook as well, I think. Um, Alexander John Shia dash author. Yeah. Alexander John Shia dash author. So go find that. Go and connect. Um, and say hello to him because he will say hello. Um, he's a he's a very nice, friendly guy like that. So um, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing this, Alexander. And we'll definitely, of course, we'll have you back on at some point, um, um, as always. Um, and um, yeah, I hope you've been blessed by this, everybody. And have a great week. <laughs>